It's the Tome of All Dooms, Season 3, Episode 2. I'm Jeff. And I'm Laren. And today we're going to talk about uh, The Good Place, Some Good Stuff, and Laren's Game. This is a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist monk, from his book, Your True Home. And this is number 87. It's called The Ocean. And it says, suppose we are looking at the ocean. On the surface, we see waves rising and falling. From the point of view of the waves, there is birth and death high and low, rising and falling. There are distinctions between waves, but each wave is made of a substance called water. It is a wave, but at the same time, it is water. Concepts such as birth and death, higher and lower, rising and falling, apply only to the waves, which represent the historical dimension, and do not apply to the water itself, the ultimate dimension. And that got translated by Mike Schur from The Good Place, or from the TV show The Good Place, into which quote, Laren? So, in the final episode, Chidi says this to Eleanor. Picture a wave in the ocean. You can see it, measure it, its height, the way the sunlight refracts when it passes through, and it's there, and you can see it. You know what it is. It's a wave. And then it crashes on the shore, and it's gone. But the water is still there. The wave was just a different way for the water to be for a little while. That's one conception of death for a Buddhist. The wave returns to the ocean, where it came from, and where it's supposed to be. things that Laren and I have been, have been talking about is uh, part of it is what to do with the um, with the Tome of All Dooms podcast and such. I definitely want to try to keep doing some session recaps, but I'm thinking of trying to add other content that other folks aren't covering or whatever. Um, just something different to throw in the mix because lots of people cover games and there's lots of review podcasts out there and stuff, and I'm still trying to find what my voice sounds like, but I know it sounds a whole lot better when I have uh, Liren talking to me on the podcast as well. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that we had discussed was... <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so I have never run a game, and Jeff said to me one day, Hey, I have an idea for you, for your podcast, and I was like, uh-oh. And he said, what if you did podcasting about being a new GM and, like, selecting a game to run and then running it? And I laughed, like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, right. I'm going to run a game. Like, really? Uh, I feel like it's funny to me because until he said that, it really hadn't crossed my mind because I feel like you guys are, like, rare special unicorns and, and like... <laughs> 
I'm just like a Przewalski's horse who's like very low down the evolutionary chain when it comes to gaming. What what's a Przewalski's horse? A Przewalski's <laughs> What is this now? <laughs> well, a Przewalski's horse is is a very um they still exist. They are the uh the one of the earliest horses that still exist. See, I love horses, so of course I would throw in a horse <laughs> thing here. Yes. Perfect. Yes. So uh yeah, so Przewalski's horses, um I think they're even older than zebras or anything. They're like the oldest living so like the least evolved horse yeah because okay. they still have a lot of the early traits get it you're I, a unicorn get I'm, it i'm i you're don't like you're like super evolved <laughs> and i'm like neanderthal no, yes no 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 yeah yeah i <laughs> no. know i know what you're gonna say i'm just saying that's no, how mo- it felt to me no most tms are more like platypuses here <laughs> they <laughs> They got about three different parts hooked together. They got little poison barbs on their feet. They they swim and lay eggs. And, and for some bizarre reason, they have a bill. No. Yeah, exactly. That's that's really what most GMs are like. Unicorns, not so much. Well, so until you said that to me, I literally had not thought about running a game. Like, mm-hmm. literally had not thought about running a game. And then you said that to me, and I, like, really laughed when he said it. But then he was, like, looking at me, like, serious face. So anyone who has listened to my podcast knows this is kind of the experience I had when he proposed to me as well. But you'll have to go listen to my podcast to hear that story. Anyway, <laughs> where you said something, and I thought, haha, you're kidding. Aren't you funny? And you're looking at me like, no, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, oh, shit. Wait, he's serious. So, so he said it. He's not pushy at all, but it stuck in my brain. So it's this little niggling, you know, voice at the back of my head. <laughs> like, running a game? You could run a game. I could run a game? I could run a game? What are you talking about? No, it'd be fun. Like, you could play a game you want to play. Like, you wouldn't have to wait for someone to run a game you want to play. It could be a game you want to try. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah. So, what I know for sure is that my beloved husband is a PDF junkie. I mean, you know, it's so funny to me because Spencer over on Keep Off the Borderlands put out a podcast about his PDF collection and how it stresses him out. And I'm like, oh, I bet I know somebody whose PDF collection could rival yours. <laughs> My little digital junkie over here. Not to mention the pile of freaking books we have in our house, but I love them. I am not insulting him at all. But I knew that if I did want to run a game, I had the perfect supplier for the book because he will have it in one form or another, whatever I want. So every once in a while, I'd mention it. And then I'd say to him, you know, I don't know what game I would run. Like, what game would I run? So so one of the things about D&D is I don't play in classic D&D games because I don't feel like I know the tropes. So like, I feel like a lot of people who game, you know, if somebody says, a dwarf or an elf they have all these preconceived notions of what a dwarf or an elf is and if noob me comes along and doesn't like conceive of a dwarf or an elf the way they do there will be lots of figure to viraling and anyway see there's my imposter syndrome coming through mm-hmm. <laughs> but so i i shy away from those games a lot of times it's not that i think they're bad it's just that they're not my jam you know it, it's kind of like uh 
it's kind of like expecting a dog person to talk in depth about the majestic beauty of cats. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so I'm, I've been thinking in the back of my mind, like, I, I just don't know what I would run. So certainly there's lots of games I think are cool. Like there's an Alice in Wonderland game that I think was one that you, isn't that one of the ones that you shared with TJ? What was that game called? Oh, Girl Underground. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't that Alice in Wonderland based? Yes. Yes, yeah. Based on Alice in Wonderland. And I I thought, oh, that could be fun, but it didn't really grab me, you know? And so many of the games that I have played that Jeff has run have been PBTA games powered by the apocalypse. And I know there is, um, you know, a ton of those. And so I have a couple of times said, I don't know, like maybe a PBTA game. And so today I actually, uh, our son spent the night with a friend last night. So we have had most of the day, I don't think we picked him up to like four. So we had most of the day together where we could just like talk and not worry about people wandering in and out of the conversation. And, and I feel a little self-conscious about talking about this in front of my son because my son games too. So, you know, he has all these opinions about, oh, mom, you'd be great at this and you'd be great at that. Except let's face it, I'm his mom and, and he's not a typical teacher, teenager. So most of the time he thinks I'm pretty the bee's knees. And so like his judgment about what I'm good at, let's just say it's skewed. So, so I, uh, (laughs) today finally said to Jeff, okay, like if I was going to do that, what, what do you think I should run? So we had this conversation where he was like, well, I think you should run whatever genre you're interested in. And I was like, ah, that's the wrong answer. I don't know what genre I'm interested in. Like, I don't even know what genre I don't like because I thought I didn't like horror games, except then you ran, ran 10 candles. And I was like, Oh my God, that was awesome. So, so now I'm like, shit, I don't even hate horror games, you know? So, so like, I don't know. I I didn't know what I was going to do. So he says to me, Oh, just Google. There's a list of powered by the apocalypse games. And I'm like, okay. So I Google that and I pull up the apocalypse website. Is that what it is? Apocalypse world. Yeah. yeah. It's and uh, I pull up the website and there's a list and I read them off and he's telling me what all but a handful of them are he knew right off the top of his head and I'm just like fangirling you know over in my seat like (laughs) oh my god that big brain I just really like pull over the car no I'm teasing anyway so so let me tell you 95 games 95 PBTA games I'm like who who the heck is writing all these Uh, games oh no wait so then he says to me oh that's not a complete list I'm like what are you talking about? That's not complete. Holy crap. What else could they be writing them about? So we come home and he gets over on his side of the bed and he pulls out two books and hands them to me. And while we're at his work earlier today, he prints out two PDFs for me that are not on the list. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. He's like, oh no, there's a bunch more than that even. So anyway, long story short, I'm kind of whittling it down. It is definitely going to be PBTA. So, you know, I I understand that PBTA doesn't necessarily fit in the OSR file. But, you know, like, I don't know what OSR means and whatever. It's gaming. So I figure I'll talk about it. And if you guys are like, ah, no, it's burning my retinas, you'll look away. You know, so so I'm thinking I'm really seriously thinking about running a game called 
passing. And it is about being aliens on Earth who are trying to pass as human. So I read some of it tonight, and it I'm it's really cool. It's very interesting. It looks like something I might really like to run. So it it's not out like the whole version though, is it? No, it's it's in what they call an ash can, which I don't know who coined that term, but that's like the beta version of most of the indie games come out in an ash can form where it's it's a it's a PDF and you get like half the game of what they've written so far and enough mechanics to play it, right? And then they're still developing other things. So yeah, and in reading it, it it's written by a person who I think this is their first game and they like have an email address where they're like, if you run it and you have feedback, send me an email. And I absolutely love the thought of helping someone who's developing a new game and and like being one of the people who's like, I ran it and it was awesome in this way. And if, you know, I do have any recommendations sharing them, like, I don't know, like new GM is going to have lots of recommendations, right? Probably not. But I, so, so there is the helping somebody cause I love to help people and feel like I'm like nurturing people. So that, that feels like kind of a nurturing act to do for a new game writer. So I don't know. I'm I'm reading it. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take me to actually build up the confidence to actually run it. But I'm we'll see. So far, it is looking like it might be that one. So a couple other ones that um, Jeff shared was one is called Flotsam. And it's it's about it's almost like um, like Downton Abbey was a story of the like staff at, at the Abbey. It wasn't about. Like well, the was, rich people quite as much. Yeah. I think Flotsam is kind of that way about in a spaceship, right? About the people who run it and the people who are not the captain and the people in the shiny suits. So that looks interesting. And then what's the other book? Uh, Turn. Turn, yeah. And that's the one about shapeshifters in a small town. Mm-hmm. And um, Jeff has, <clears throat> excuse me, met the lady who wrote that and said that she seems like a really nice person. And like that means something to me. I have met some people who created games. One of the things that I thought was really cool was uh, playing Ganakagak with Bill White, who wrote it, playing Monsters and Other Childish Things with the guy who wrote it, whose name I can never remember. Uh, Benjamin, no. Anyways. Yeah, ben, yeah, Benjamin Baugh. Ah, thank you. I was going to say, I can't remember it exactly, but he that game was so much fun with him. You know, there's something about playing a game with the person who wrote it because they're so passionate about it and they know it inside and out. And it's really exciting to me. I can remember, um, I can remember in, when I played Ganakagak, Dave was there. Mm-hmm. And Dave is the guy who created the tarot deck for Ganakagak. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is such a nice guy. I he, And he's really, he's one of those people who kind of sits back and he didn't say a whole lot. But when he said something, you were like, ooh, <laughs> he's really creative. And I can remember him and Bill a couple times during the game, something would come up and they would have a little conversation about, oh, yeah, when when you made this card, what were you thinking? Or, you know, and I loved all that. I just thought that was awesome and added to the game. So anyways, I said I was not going to go on and on about this and I'm going well, on and okay, on about this. But you might want to because Ganakagak is pretty niche. Oh, um, okay. Well, I've talked the, about it on my podcast, oh, too. You have. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so Ganakagak is a game. Yeah, I, I, it would be good if I told them what it's about, wouldn't it? Uh, well, uh, it's kind of um, based on uh, Inuit culture and, and they 
there. I'll let you describe it because you're so much better at this than I am. But but it was so much fun to play. Oh my gosh, go ahead. Um, oh, Kanakagak. Um, Kanakagak was originally a Game Chef game. So Game Chef is a. Um, I didn't I th- even know that. I think it's still running. It's a. Um, it's a contest that happens every year where you have like a month or three weeks or something to write a game. And uh, I believe that was the 2007 Game Chef. It was either 2004 or 2007 Game Chef. And uh, the the way the Game Chef worked was they would give you, at that, that incarnation of it, they'd give you ingredients. And the ingredients were like, pick three out of these five things and include them in your game. And for that particular year, the ingredients were ice, island, and... I can't remember the third one, but it might have been cold or it might have been stars. But anyway, um, Bill took all of that and he developed a game that mirrors, it does, it, it, what it wants to do is generate mythic fiction in a creation myth. And it does that by placing all of the characters on an island of ice under a darkened sky um, full of stars that, and they've never seen the sun. And as the game progresses, there's a mechanic where um, the stars in the sky go out as the, the sky becomes brighter and brighter. And then at the end of the um, game, the sun rises and the world changes. And it's a game about the people in the tribe and their myths and their legends and what comes true and their, their hopes and their fears and whether or not they can save their village or save their people or save the world i think are the three things yeah and it like it, in the game when we played it, it i can remember like strong elements of superstition and how that plays out in a society and mythology and how that plays out in a society and different people playing characters that were to varying degrees accepting of the possibility of change or not and i it was so cool the way that game played out i mean it was really awesome i enjoyed it so much mm-hmm. no that, that's it, it's a wonderful game it is definitely a game of its age however the mechanics are a little fiddly now um and i keep every time i see bill i keep telling him he needs to rewrite it and and do it as a pbta hack oh my gosh um, oh i wish he would do that and i don't think he ever will but i know <laughs> um, but it's a great game and um it doesn't get nearly enough love because it's it's kind of really obscure in the well, uh, and it has a tarot deck that is beautiful and evocative, and it's funny because when Jeff ran Blood and Snow at Dexcon last year when I went, he used the art that Hankerin provides as a tarot deck, and I loved that. I love that element because it it just kind of throws variables in there. But I will say this: that was yet another example when that tarot deck. You know, he puts it out there and he's like, okay, draw a card and somebody draws a card. And I'm watching him just be like, oh, let me just look at that. And within five seconds flat, spin that into how that fits into what we've done so far. And I'm like, how did you just do that? Like, like, oh, my God, your brain is so big. I'm telling you, I know I'm I'm embarrassing him, but it. It was. It is one of those things where I can see where it would it would be um, um, 
gosh dang it, intimidating for a GM to have a tarot deck element because of the variables that it can add in. Mm-hmm. I know in Ganakagak, the, the tarot deck is um, much more focused. You know, like like mm-hmm. the things Hankerin gives you are art for things in the game. It's yeah. not. It's not a real tarot. No, no, it's not designed to be used as a tarot deck. So some random thing can come up that, like I remember one time something came up and you looked at it and everybody else was talking about something else and you just... I can't remember how you did it, but like we skipped a card, but you didn't say, yeah, that doesn't fit. We're skipping that one. I don't remember how you did that, but I remember being like, oh man, that was good. (laughs) You know, like in hindsight, Mm -hmm. that was awesome. But anyways, so, so I have a soft spot for games that have like tarot deck elements because of Ganakagak and because of how, um, that session, the way the tarot deck, um, supported like the storyline and helped people to to uh, figure out where their character was going to go and how they felt about things and and having Dave sit there and I, I don't know I don't know how you know it was just one of those things where I was like man this is one of the times in my life when I'm in the right place at the right time to be able to experience something like that you know mm-hmm. no it was Bill runs a really tight game and uh... well and he was so excited I'm like yep. Bill's like older than I am and he was like bouncing around like a kid that ate too much candy I'm going wow he's really happy to be running this game and it's infectious I mean it was like and it, it, I don't know it's like the fully invested thing you know I think yeah we, we decided at one convention that Bill runs on enthusiatronium which is a, an element of enthusiasm that he bottles somewhere we're not really sure where um, but yeah, he he he's he's a consummate jam, and he's really when he gets excited about things, it's really great to see. Um, but anyway, uh, the your game, the game yeah. that you're looking to run. Um, mm-hmm. So we were, I was kind of interested in because I don't remember what it's like to be a newbie GM, right? I've been GMing since grade school, mm-hmm. and because nobody else would do it, which is how ninety <laughs> percent of us got the role i was gonna say i cannot Um, so many of you guys have said that listening to your podcasts yeah and so it's interesting to me to be like on the uh, on the end of being able to investigate like okay what does a new gm really think and what do they care about and what are they afraid of and what what do they read that makes sense and what do they read that leaves them flat or doesn't help them um run a good game and we talked about it, and I you're you're predisposed to like PBTA stuff because of me, I think, uh, running so much of it. But I don't think it's a terrible thing because one of the strengths of Powered by the Apocalypse is it's structured as a conversation, and the GM never rolls the dice, right? Well, and I think, too, that uh, I am also predisposed to run a game that's about exchanging narrative more than rolling dice for taking actions because like primetime adventures is another game that you ran a ton of. And I played in that more than once with you because I don't, I mean, 12 years ago, were there PBTA games? Yeah. yeah. Were there? Cause I don't remember. I'm trying to remember what I played in way back then. And I don't remember any of them you saying, oh, that's a PBTA game. That doesn't oh. mean you didn't. Oh, no, no, no. no. You t- I'm sorry. You thought you said PTA, PBTA. No, no. no. P- P- Powered by the Apocalypse came out 
Um, it wasn't 12 years ago. It was, yeah, that's was maybe four. That's what I thought. I was going to say, I don't think there was such a thing. Because, no, so, no, 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 there but, was not. But the games that I played in then that you were like, because you were the one who was like, oh, you might like this one or you might like that one. They were like narrative games where mm-hmm. where what you do is you roll for, I mean, there's things similar to rolling for initiative, but what you're really rolling for is is narrative control. Mm-hmm. And most of the games I have played in, when you had narrative control, it wasn't like you told the whole story. You could talk to everybody else and you developed a story, you know? Like, so I played in a lot of games where as a group we're developing the story. It's mm-hmm. not like, um, it's not like the funnel that TJ ran where there was something that happened and we rolled dice and if you died or not was what number you got. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like a totally different experience to play one of those than it is to play a game where you exchange narrative control. And as I hear people talk about different types of games and like, there's been a lot of talk about labels and stuff like that. And, you know, what's a story game and, and people who play games where you roll dice to make decisions can be narrative as well. And all of that. And I can totally see that. But I think, I also, as somebody who had no experience with role playing before really meeting you, other than one person that I talked to who, you know, played D&D and talked about all the things he killed, um, I think I can very much see a strong difference between the elements of a story that's being told being about a group of people and narrative control and one person getting to make a change and then another person getting to add another element, you know, as opposed to there being something that's happening and you're moving through it. And then at any plot point, you roll dice to figure out what happened. And at any point you could die like in the funnel, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd never done one of those. So it was interesting to do that completely different. And I say that it isn't that TJ didn't do a great job of of weaving story into his funnel because he really did, but it's about what what is the play element because the play element is not narrative in that game it wasn't narrative at all it was it's your turn roll some dice you know and so it's funny to me sometimes to hear people um, and this hasn't happened recently but you know probably last summer the end of last summer people were talking a lot about this. And talking about how they don't like, they don't think that uh, narrative games are OSR and all this stuff, you know, and and what the terms are and all that. And it's funny because as the person who isn't in the middle of that, I really sat back and went, man, that's like saying shoots and ladders isn't like Candyland, you know? I mean, <laughs> I'm and I, I don't mean to use child games or to say Monopoly isn't like Risk, you know? I mean, they're two different things. They're both games. Yes, they are both games. They both use dice. Monopoly and Risk both use boards, but they're very different games. Mm -hmm. And you can also see where you can blend them some. And so what's interesting to me is like when I listen to some of the actual plays that people put up on Anchor Podcast or the couple of episodes of Wheel or Woe that I've listened to that Joe Richter does, Mm -hmm. um, who also does Hindsightless, um, I really, I listen to those and I go, wow, like it's interesting to me to hear the variety of, of how much narrative gets woven into the roll the dice and make decisions as opposed to the PBTA kind of stuff I played where it's about narrative exchange and, right. and, and playing for narrative control. Right. And, and I would only add one thing to that argument, which is that Monopoly is a horrible game and shouldn't be played. Okay, honey. All right. You can have that one. All right. <laughs> There aren't a lot of bad games. That's a bad game. 
oh, okay, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a dog in this fight. But, right. <laughs> um, but just, you know, I wanted to point out that you are predisposed to narrative games because I have done narrative games for so long. Well, I'm also predisposed so to narrative games because I'm a writer. Right. So because I have written, uh, I say I'm a writer, I mean, that's kind of a joke, but but I have written things, and because I kind of think that way, and I think in terms of story more than I think in terms of game and mechanics, and and, you know, the thought of having to figure out the statistics of possibilities of a dice roll sounds very similar to dental work to me. <laughs> and I think a lot of gamers think that's the, that's the like cream filling in their Oreo baby. Like that's the thing they really like, you know, like I hear people talking about it and I think to myself, the cool thing about role playing is that talk about something, a hobby that pulls together people that have really varying, just broadly varying interests and styles and and what they're looking for you know what i mean cool. like i rode horses when you ride horses there's a very narrow band of the types of people that you're riding horses with you know what i mean yeah whereas in role playing it's crazy to me the wide variety of people that it pulls in which i think is awesome i think that's definitely one of its strengths but i also think that that is one of the struggles because that is why you have people who get in really personal arguments about well this means this not that you know no i and you know i i completely agree there's some real tribalism in in the different um in the different role-playing communities i mean we we struggled with that um you know with the indie community when i originally started playing a lot of indie games of what did indie mean and who was part of the indie scene and mm. and all of that and in the end it it doesn't really matter anymore. There's games and there's the ones that you enjoy and there's the ones that you don't. It's kind of like wine, you know. If you enjoy the box wine, then drink the box wine. If you enjoy the $50 bottle of wine, then by all means go buy the $50 bottle of wine. But drink what you're going to enjoy. Don't drink something because somebody else tells you it's good, right? Right, right. And I don't want to be the one that tells you that PBTA is the greatest thing on earth and that the game that you're you're running should be that way. But at the same time, I also want to, I, I want to give you something that I can help you to process and understand. And knowing your proclivity towards narrative from being a writer rather than mechanics um, – from being more uh, maybe statistically oriented or maybe wargaming oriented or uh, strategy oriented, which a lot of a lot of games end up with a huge strategy element, which is fun in its own right, and I, I enjoy that too, but it's not um, something that I would throw on you because that's not I mean, you did play Xcom too. Uh, most yeah, of the way baby. through, so that, that was pretty heavy strategy. Oh, that was good. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think you'd want to do the math for each of the turns. No, no, thank you, no. Yeah. And and I also don't want to be the GM who the guys are sitting there going, "Oh my God, noob, can we get this moving along?" You know. Right. So like that's probably my biggest fear of GMing is that I don't do something that I'm not very familiar with that the people at the table are much more familiar with it than I am. And they're all going, uh, hello, you know? Right. And I also realize that that is my own, like, you know, we all have our own insecurities about doing something new, right? Well, that's my insecurity about running a game because 
as I mention all the time, whenever I talk about this stuff, like on the audio dungeon discard or on my podcast, I still feel like the freaking noob every time I play a game and I can sometimes get very in my head about that. And I, I pep talk myself out of it. So well, uh, that's good that you pep talk yourself <laughs> out of it because you're only a newbie once and then you're a gamer just like everybody else. Okay, well, then maybe I'm just not a, a very good gamer. I don't know. Maybe, like, I hope you get to be a better gamer the more you play, but that's what I'm working for. You you, you do fine. It's there You are... have to say that. <laughs> like our son always says to me about uh, whenever I say something nice to him, he goes, you have to say that. You're my mom. <laughs> All right. So hopefully we will, an ongoing segment of... This season of Tome of All Dooms will be reporting on a new GM (laughs) finding her way into a game that she wants to run, prepping for said game, and then hopefully running said game at some point. Right? Okay. (laughs) You say that with such confidence. Yeah, that's me. Confident. This next section is part two of the What's Good discussion from the previous episode. It doesn't contain a ton of RPG content, just some references here and there. Um, So if you want to skip it, uh, feel free. I know we blathered on for a little while. So i got uh, two things to talk about that I think are good, and you can certainly hop in anywhere here. But... um, as you might have noticed listening to the podcast, there's a lot of good place uh, quotes and references. So the first good thing um, is that uh, the TV show The Good Place came to an end after four seasons. Um, in I think it was the end of January. We binged watched the fourth season as we'd been saving it up. Um, and that show is masterful on a whole lot of levels. And the ending was, I think, one of the best that I've ever seen for a TV show. And emotionally, it absolutely wrecked me. Um, because the you get to know the characters and, uh, through the show. And if you don't know what the show is about, um, it's called The Good Place because all of the characters are... Uh, dead and they're in the afterlife and all of the things that happen to them in the afterlife um and i won't spoil anything beyond that i don't think uh because there's a lot of twists and turns in the plot end of the first season again at the end of the second season again at the end of the third season um and the fourth season i i think they they changed up the casting a little bit they had some external characters in the first few episodes that I, I wasn't terribly thrilled with, but um, but they were fine. Uh, but the end of it, wow, they, 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 really, they really nailed it. And the final episode is, uh, I think it's, it's uh, almost an hour and it's, so it's a 20, it's a 20 minute comedy, 22 minute comedy regularly. And I think the final episode is, um, 53 minutes, something like that, where they tie everything up 
um, pretty much end all of the character arcs really, really well. Um, and we get to say goodbye to all of the the characters, um, and they end it on um, I, th- I think on a really on a really positive um, positive note. And I was it's it's TV show endings are really hard to do well. There haven't been a lot of shows that have been able to tie up um, all of their plot lines and finish everything uh, respectfully to all the all the fans. Um, Lost is a, is a real good example. Um, Battlestar Galactica. I think they tied up a lot of things, but but not everything. It was it was pretty good, but it wasn't great. This show, man, they Mike Shore, who's the who's the creator and the head writer on it, had must have had it arced from um, the very beginning and kind of knew where he wanted to go. And I know that he heard an interview with him and he talked about writing the fourth season and the the final episode and stuff. So he had an idea where he wanted to go, but man, masterful writing. Um, And the reason that I wanted to to bring it up is one of the things that he does really well um, is he communicates a lot of philosophic arguments in that show um, in more layman's terms. Like if you, if you listen to the, the Thich Nhat Hanh um, quote from his book, you get an interesting idea of things, and it, it's deep and it's interesting, but he's a Buddhist monk, and he's also not a native English speaker, so it's maybe not as fluid or as... Um, well-crafted, perhaps, or easy to understand, as uh, the quote from the show The Good Place, which Mike Shore said he took direct inspiration from Thich Nhat Hanh's book and that particular quote that we read. And I think anybody that can turn a phrase that well and make it that accessible and make really kind of difficult philosophical uh, arguments and stuff uh, available or accessible, I guess accessible is the right word, to um, normal people is really a masterful writer. Um, so that's kind of why I wanted to put that there. So what did what did you think of The, the Good Place and the final episodes? Um, I loved them. I, you know, uh, one of the things I loved about that show is they knew that they were going to end it then. It was planned ahead of time. They knew how long it was going to be. And you could tell there wasn't any rushing. There wasn't any kind of, um, gosh, the only word I can think of for it is half-assing. <laughs> Pardon my swearing. But but you know what I mean? How sometimes in shows that you really like, you'll get to the end and you'll go, oh, yeah, they didn't know the end was coming that season the whole time, you know? And in this show, it was planned that way. They knew it from the start. And, I mean, masterful is the perfect word. Now, I can say from sharing that show with a bunch of my friends, because I really do love that show, and their reactions, that I think that a lot of the things that show addresses make people uncomfortable, you know? Um, A couple of my friends that I shared that with, my friend who's the author and my friend I crochet with, it's funny to me because both of them watched a few episodes and went, uh, I didn't know where that was going. And you could tell that it just made them uncomfortable to think about stuff like that, to think about what happens after you die. You know what I mean? So I, 
I, I guess what I hope more than anything, and, and I have told both of them that I really hope that they give it a chance and watch the whole thing because I, I don't know, I, rarely does a show come along that you watch and you go, you know, that show actually talks about some interesting things that are actively applicable to me. Like a show you loved a lot that I thought was really well done was Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Remember watching Scrubs? Oh, yeah. So you loved that show, and I watched a bunch of that show with you. And so that show did this thing where it would kind of go, one episode is just funny, one episode is about one character, one episode's about another character, and then every once in a while, they would pull out an episode that was a freaking gut punch. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, in a in a way where they would address something that you know you're going to have to deal with at some point. So in Scrubs, they're nurse, they're, um, they're not nurses, they're um, interns at a hospital. And, and so an episode would come up where someone, one of their patients or, you know, somebody they know or something has to deal with some illness. And, and I have to say, I loved the way that show uh, mixed up, like, it wasn't all gut punches, you know, but I was happy that there were some sometimes. So I liked that show. But but the thing about The Good Place is that show was tight. I mean, I can't think of very many times when I was watching that show and I went, okay, we're off in the weeds now. Can you? No, I, I don't. I, um, yeah, the, the show, so it, it has a lot of the same feel to me as Scrubs because mm-hmm. there is a heavy comedic element. It's not all um, oh, yeah. deep thinking and... And one of the characters, Jason, is just a goofball and says the most insane things, um, and but is also in a has an innocence to him that is kind of appealing. Um, so there's a lot of comedy there, and they often temper like hard things with uh, with a, a comedic joke afterwards or a little bit of setup ahead. Um, to I don't I don't want to to maybe not to relieve the tension I'm not sure or to uh, just to make it easier to think about well and and almost to make it more digestible to make it not so in your face you know like I don't remember I'm trying to think back if I remember a time when I felt like the good place like gobsmacked me with something that was just like right in my face now realize. If you listen to my podcast, you know I think about this stuff a lot. I'm, I think about like what does love mean, and I think about what happens when we die because I'm a total tree hugging pagan. So like, I, I don't know like why do I think what I think about that as opposed to what other people think? I think about stuff like that a lot. So I I, I don't know maybe it's maybe they would have had to do a lot for me to feel like it was right in my face. I don't know, but I really can't remember a time when I felt like they like gratuitously were in my face you know what i mean mm-hmm. but but i do know that my friends my other two friends who um gosh i don't please don't hear this as an insult but they're not real deep thinkers about things that make them uncomfortable at all either one of them and and sometimes i wonder if that isn't why they're friends with me because i'm like their their you know sounding board weirdo bohemian friend who you know who brings them tofu cookies no i don't bring them tofu cookies but but you know what i mean i'm like their hippie friend or whatever you know i do wonder about that sometimes (laughs) because i know sometimes i'll say things and and both of them will give me the look that's like oh my god what (laughs) so 
so anyway, the the good place is is a good thing. And if you haven't watched it, uh, you should watch it. And I will say that um, I kind of bounced off the first season too. The first time, the the first couple episodes really didn't grab me. But then I watched it all the way through oh, till the end. Now you got to tell them why you watched it all the way. Why through. did I watch it all the way through to the end? You watched it because you had watched a couple episodes, and you told me it was there. And you said, I watched a couple episodes, but I don't know. And one time when you were gone, I think it was a work trip, I sat down and watched like the first four or five episodes. And you came home and I was like, oh my gosh, you have got to watch that show. That show is amazing. And you were like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I am taking credit for you watching the rest of that show because you watched like the first episode and maybe part of the second, second one yeah. and you were just like oh, okay yeah no I don't know where that show is going it didn't grab me it was the second episode especially is a little bit cringy until you kind of understand what's going on which you don't really get until you're most of the way through the first season that is true well and and I will say I think like I said I think I got like the fourth episode in before I yeah. really went oh wow like because you know it's it's a unique setting and in the beginning you can't tell where they're going to go which is part of the great thing about the show but if if you don't like kind of cringy stuff or you don't like not feeling like you know where a show is going then that one i don't know maybe unless someone is telling you no really watch it yeah you might end up like you did you know one and a half episodes in and going no thanks so that that's our rousing endorsement for uh, for watching The Good Place. So you should go watch that. All right, so the, the second um, good thing that I wanted to bring up um, also probably doesn't have a whole lot of relation to uh, tabletop gaming, at least. But um, uh, not any more than The Good Place does, I guess. But it's a, a video game that I have been playing that I, I have quite been enjoying. Uh, which is a uh, roguelike card uh, built card deck building game on um, on the PC, also the PlayStation and the Xbox called Slay the Spire. Which um, it's a it's an amazing card game. If you like card games and you like deck builders, um, you start out with a um, kind of like the tabletop game Dominion a little bit. Uh, you start out with a very small hand of cards. I think there's 12 cards in your hand to begin with. And you are going through these events um, through different stages. And if you battle a monster, you get at the end of the battle and you win, you get to add a card to your hand. And the cards get increasingly more complicated and rare and different. And you get different deck synergies. But uh, you only ever get a choice of usually it's only... Um, three cards are are given to you at the end of the battle and you get to pick one so well, hold on do you mean you only have 12 cards in your deck yeah oh you said hand i'm okay. sorry i was gonna say 12 cards is not a small hand but you no, mean no. deck. i'm sorry deck yeah, yeah. you have tw yeah you you draw five sometimes seven of them at a time uh into your hand yeah you only have 12 in your deck i believe Oh, so it's like a deck building game. It is. I have watched you play it, and the graphics on it are pretty cool too, but I haven't played any of it. The graphics are very indie. Um, the card choices are really spectacular because the the card design um, of the mechanics 
means that you're always making hard choices. Every time you get a choice of a card, you have to decide of the three cards that you're presented with, um, you know, what's going to synergize the best with my deck right now. So you, it's not, um, in the default mode, it's not like you can build a deck that does a very particular thing on purpose. You are constantly adding cards to your deck or skipping adding a card because your deck is doing what you want it to do. Um, all the way up the the act, there's three acts and then a fourth later on. But um, And an act is a set of battles with a set of events, and then you fight a boss at the end of the act. Um, and the the boss battles, you have to use all of, you know, you have to prep through the entirety of the, the rest of the act to get the cards you need to fight the boss because you can't win with just the default set of cards. Um, and the bosses get... Uh, more and more difficult, and they're varied. Uh, they're not always presented to you in the same order. The final bosses on each level, there's a couple different choices for them. Um, what else is in there? There's also relics, which you get um, given various points in the game that give you kind of um, their powers that are constantly available to you or constantly working in your favor. Um, are there potions or something? There are, there are potions or one-time-use potions that you can use. Um, that you can spend to do different things inside the game. It's um, so the the game is not when you start out. The game is not horribly complicated, and then it adds complexity as it goes. You unlock different cards. You unlock different relics. As you play more and more, it gets more and more um, involved. Th- one of the really interesting things about the the game is that there are. Uh, currently four, I believe there's a fifth character class that uh, is uh, in beta testing, but there's four, you get to pick from one of four characters to play during the game, and each of the characters plays radically different. Um, the first character you, you you generally, you always have is the Ironclad, he's just basically a fighter, he does a lot of damage. Um, the second character is called the Silent, and he's kind of a rogue character, and he does a lot of stealth and a lot of poison and a lot of indirect damage. And then the third character is the defect, and he has to charge things up and then um, set them off to do his damage. And then the fourth character um, is called the Watcher. That was just released not too long ago, and the Watcher um, goes into these different phases, and you have cards that can exit and enter a phase, but you're never sure when you're going to draw them. And so you have to you have to always be constantly on the lookout of planning several turns ahead to say, okay, I'm going to go into this phase and I'm going to do these things and then I'm going to get out of that phase by using these cards. So each of the characters plays radically differently and the cards that they that they each play with, some of them are common, but a lot of them are character-specific. Um, so there's a lot of replay value in the game. And it's a roguelike game, so you're not guaranteed to win or anything. And I mean, oftentimes you die partway up because you made bad choices, but it's one of those games that has that element of, if i just done this thing differently or if i just chosen this card differently, I probably would have gotten farther. And you can kind of see that and you can make those decisions, and then the next time you play, um, you can do better. And that's really compelling, and I'm... I'm racking my brain trying to figure out how you can take these hard choices, like every choice that you make in the game is about competing resources. Do I pick card A or card B? Do I take 
which of these relics do I take? Which potion do I buy? What works best for me? Without with being presented with this path that is kind of described, but it's not fully fleshed out to you. You don't know what monsters you're going to fight. You have a vague idea of which ones come in each level, but they can come in random orders, um, and they can get mixed up. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to work any of that into a role-playing game. I haven't come up with anything yet because that roguelike element isn't really something that shows up in most tabletop RPGs because people don't like to die and you don't want to die and then come back and have to do things all over again, which is really the the fundamental mechanic in the game of walking up this path, up the spire, um, you know, repeat it again and again, but doing it better or differently each time. So I'm still kind of thinking about that, but boy, that game is... Uh, that is that is it's it is a card game um of a design that I have rarely seen. Dominion was probably the last thing that I saw that uh that really kind of filled that niche for me. And since it's a completely um solo game, you're playing against the computer, you're playing against the board basically, um it 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 makes it fixes a lot of the things that I really disliked about other online card games like Hearthstone. I was gonna say so the last time there was a card game that you just disappeared sometimes and I'd go, hey, where'd he go? Was Hearthstone, actually. And I know you kept getting frustrated with it and walking away. And then you'd be back to it for a little while and then you'd get frustrated and walk away. And this game, you have not hit the frustrated and walk away. So this has been funny because, you know, it's been a long time since you played Hearthstone. I mean, you're not a person who finds a lot of games you love and spends a lot of time playing them usually. Um, but this time, this game more than once, all of a sudden you disappear and I'm like, uh Oh, he must be slaying the spire. And then I'll ask you and yep, that's what you're doing. Not that I mind at all, but it's funny how every once in a while a game will grab your attention. And this one definitely has. Yeah. I mean, I played a lot of Hearthstone. Um, the problems that I had with Hearthstone was the constant power creep in the cards and the fact that it was kind of pay to win because if you could invest more money in buying card packs, you could get better cards. And once you got better cards, your decks were ultimately better. And the majority of people who were playing online, it's, it's a constructed deck game. Um, you'd, you'd do what they call net decking, which is just you'd go online and you'd find somebody who was playing the character that you wanted to play that had a super strong deck, and that's the deck you play. There wasn't a lot of creativity um, left after each set would release in the game um, because everybody would figure out the best combos, and that would be the new, the new what they called the meta, the new thing that everybody was battling through for the three months or whatever until the next expansion kicked over. And since it was... Hearthstone is a, um, you're always playing against a person. I guess it's not exactly true in that they have some puzzle modes and some other modes of the game, but 90% of the time you're playing against another person and the matchmaking was, was reasonable, but you still, you're losing 50% of the time. Yeah. Um, if, if the matchmaking works perfectly, you're losing 50% of the time, you're winning 50% of the time. That feels, I mean, people are terrible at, at, um, 
uh, analyzing risk and analyzing percentages. And I have to say that losing 50% of the time feels more like losing 80% of the time. Well, I know it reached a point there where you'd be playing a game and three or four moves in, you'd go, oh, they're playing this kind of mage or this mm -hmm. kind of this or that kind yep. of that. Yep. And either you had the cards to to battle that or you didn't and you might as well have just forfeited the match because... Yep. There was nothing you could do. So there was a, there was an imbalance. So Slay the Spire, since you're not playing against people, you're playing against the board, and you're the only one building a deck, gets rid of all of that. And uh, my win percentage is probably not... It's probably not 50%. It's probably more like 20%, but it still feels better um, because I'm constantly making improvements. I'm constantly playing the game and seeing little things and going, oh, I get it, this is how these two things now synergize, or I didn't see that or um, before. And then you get a little bit better, and you go and you play again. It takes, I don't know, if you do a full run and you end up uh, beating the final boss, it takes maybe an hour, hour and 20 minutes to play, so it is a little bit of an investment of time. And sometimes you're done in 10 minutes because you lose, and then you're, you're doing it again. Um, so it certainly is a bigger time investment than a match of, of Hearthstone, which, you know, takes 10, 15 minutes. But um, overall, I'm much more satisfied with the game, and it's way more fun than most of the other card games that I have played. And there's still a goodly number of people talking about it online and different strategies and different decks and different things that they found that work together. Um, so there's enough chatter and enough talk that you can, be, you can still feel involved. It's a, it's a small indie um, company, I think, that's doing it. There's not a ton of development, uh, developers behind it. They have it out for the, uh, the... It's on Steam, it's on PlayStation, it's on Xbox, and they claim uh, that they're pushing it through QA right now to get it out on mobile for iOS and Android. And once that happens, I will probably be much more addictive are addicted to it. I was um, going to say... Once I, I can play it any time I want on my phone. I'll lose you to it much more often. <laughs> How long has it been out? I don't I don't remember. It's... It, not that long, but... Well, it's it's been out a while because it was an early access game. Oh, 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 okay. And they keep, I know you didn't discover it until not too long ago. Yeah. Long. I mean, I had heard about it from various podcasts and stuff, but I hadn't really looked into it. Uh -huh. Um and then and then something bit me i don't remember what and i started looking at it and then it went on sale on steam and that was just the end of that um uh, the infamous steam sale yes steam <laughs> sale where i buy far too many games that i'll never play but this one i played and i've and i've played a lot of it and it's it's really good so i would definitely recommend it if anybody likes deck building card games um it's uh, slay the spire i think it's on sale on steam for about 20 or 25 dollars it's not super expensive and you can get it on sale down to like i think i paid 18 or something for it okay. and i i have played mm, i think i'm i'm coming up on 60 hours i've sunk into it at this point so my my cost per hour ratio is real good for this game i'm definitely <laughs> getting my my money's worth out of it um but it's just a great game and it's a small development shop and it's worth picking up Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Jeff, you can email him at podcast at tomeofalldooms.com 
or message him through the Anchor app or from the link in the show notes. Now go play something.